she was this gun-toting, whiskey-drinking broad. The super epic fucking broad. She was a pioneer in the industry. She's also so famous and so controversial. So controversial. So she's kind of a big fucking deal. Her story is so incredible. She belongs on this podcast because she's a broad you should know. Hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women from history. I'm your host, Sarah Gorski, and I am here with Chloe Skye, one of Hi. our favorite recurring guests. Hello, Chloe. It's me. Chloe is back, and we love her so much. I mean, one day I'll write a real song about it, and then I can really <laughs> sing it. <laughs> it was a, a cute little song. I, I appreciated it. <laughs> well, Chloe, I invited you back this week because what a fucking week, huh? Oh my God. Oh. oh my god. Like we knew, like I did a whole broadly speaking about this like a month ago because we heard that it was going to happen and it still happened, you know. It happened a lot sooner than I thought it would too. Like the turnaround on that was like no time. Well, I think they, I think they were always slated to be making decisions around this time before the fourth, the holiday. Well, we should tell people what we're talking about. Well, yes, if we should. Already oh yes, if you don't live in the United States of America and watch the news. Roe versus Wade, which was the court decision that protected women's right to seek an abortion, was overturned. Uh, and that has been the law of the land here for 50 or so years. We just did an episode about its origin, actually. And Norma McCorvey, who was yeah. the woman who brought the suit She's the Jane Roe from that case. So that's an interesting episode, by the way. If you haven't heard that yet, you should go listen to that. More people than usual have mentioned to me how interesting that episode was. And it surprised me, too. Hmm. So, Chloe, that was a great... Chloe Chloe brought Norma. You brought her. So I did. I'm glad, I'm glad people liked it. <laughs> well, most people don't know the history of it, and it's very interesting. However, we're not here to talk about Norma today. We're here to talk about the fucking overturning. Uh, the, yeah. So So basically, abortion is not federally protected. Uh, and now the law is passed down to the states to decide. Uh, so individual states have all of these trigger laws that have already gone into effect. There, It's already now illegal to get an abortion in, in a bunch of these states. Yeah, including my, my home state of Wisconsin. They just instantly reverted back to a, a law for, that was written in like 1840-something. 1840-something. Yeah, before any women had the right to vote. before Or know. have bank accounts, let's remember. Right. Like, women couldn't do a bunch of things even a hundred years ago in this country. And we've made all this progress, and now suddenly, not suddenly, it's not suddenly is the truth. And that's, that's the mythology here. But Roe versus Wade feels like kind of the dam breaking, I guess, I think. Uh, but some people have been expecting this for a long time and knowing it was coming. And those of us that are super shocked are probably just less kind of connected with the reality of how our country is currently functioning. <laughs> yeah, just not, not paying attention. Because yep. this has been written on the wall for many, many years. Many years. Chloe, did you find yourself surprised when the news broke? Yes and no. Um, I was I was surprised at how mundane it felt. And also the, the level of joy and celebration that some people I know had when it happened. Um, I wasn't surprised that it happened, partly because... There was that announcement that they were looking at doing it a month and a half ago or whenever that was. And because, you know, this has been Mitch McConnell's game plan for basically since Roe v. Wade happened in the first place. And uh, the entirety of Trump's presidency was about stocking the courts and putting as many Republican 
Supreme Court justices as possible so that this could happen. And then it happened. Not just the entire Trump presidency, like basically, well, since Obama's been in office, and I feel like even before that, they've been starting yeah. starting to stack all the courts this way. Yeah, yeah, because Obama, they, they rejected all of his appointments and did everything they could just make sure that he couldn't prevent this at all. So yeah, it's been it's been a long time coming. I didn't know that it was definitely in the works until Trump, but it it's been happening since long before that. Yeah, for some reason the GOP's like really fucking good at at setting goals and rallying people around fear in a way that gets them what they want. And it's very disturbing. You know, I was like similarly not shocked because of the because of the draft ruling so it wasn't even like a rumor that it was going to happen it was a draft of the ruling that that got Mm -hmm. circulated um, like a month and a half ago so we knew that it was it was happening basically i had this like i forgot i like forgot how happy the other side was going to be i have to like this is my personal like inroad into the other side's happiness there is a, a client of a client who i worked with once a long time ago they are catholic and they have like nine or ten kids. That's that's Catholic. They don't believe in birth control, obviously, and they believe every child's a blessing, and that is their right. Because we, you know, as America, we're built on a country where you can believe the things you want to believe and that you subscribe. Sounds to. like every person in my entire family. <clears throat> yeah, from our conversations, yep, it does sound like that. Uh, and I, a, a, a bit ago, like, uh, I think it was during the Trump presidency. I think it was at some point during that. This guy, this this pat- had patriarch of the family, we'll call him, um, he engaged with me on a post on Facebook. I had forgotten that I had Facebook friended him when, when I worked as a client of a client. You know, I was like a contractor. And so... I like vaguely knew them and worked with them and we like Facebook friended because we were helping them with some Facebook things or whatever back then. So it made sense to friend him, even though, you know, we weren't. Anyway, I forgot because I snooze him half the time and, uh, you know, it's just obnoxious. And he engaged with me, you know, a, a couple years ago on on a comment thread and he was arguing about about when life begins. But I was arguing about women's autonomy and women's right to make decisions about their body. I wasn't arguing about when life begins because I don't know. I'm not a fucking scientist and I'm not a like, <laughs> right? you know, but I do care about autonomy and I do care, you know, about the fact that dead bodies have more rights than women now in huge parts of the United States. That's very, that yeah. disturbs me. It disturbs it's me. pretty disturbing. It's pretty disturbing. But I had forgotten about this guy. I forgot. It's like in the two years between then and now, I forgot about him. And I guess because of the Facebook algorithm, his post appeared on my feed. And all of these Catholics, oh my God, I'm getting emotional. I didn't think I was going to get emotional. All these uh, like really pro-supportive Catholic people were like posting the happiest memes I've ever seen. And they were celebrating and they were like, think someone, someone even posted, thank God, I hope they can overturn gay marriage next. And I found myself fucking flabbergasted like i forgot like i i knew they existed and i i forgot and i don't understand like some of these people commenting are women they're women too like their their rights and the rights of their daughters the health of their daughters the autonomy of their daughters is now at risk at significant risk and i just like that's when it like 
that for some reason in that moment when that thing that fucking post flew across my feed i just like felt, kind of fell apart and i i i'm lucky to know so many wonderful people in my life who you know for the most part believe in the same freedoms as i even though we don't necessarily believe in the exact same religion or version of whatever it is we believe you know i think i'm fortunate that most of my family and friends are people who also believe in people's choice and the freedom to choose and and to see people celebrating because of, like what is it they're celebrating they're celebrating something that's going to kill women something yeah. that is going to keep women impoverished and and more or less like enslaved to the men that impregnated them it's a level of brainwashing that you you have to have been born into to not be able to see the other side and to not be able to see past this is murder. That's all that they see. And yeah, it's the only thing that matters to them. The only th- part of it. Like, you can argue about women's bodily autonomy until you run out of breath, until you literally die, and they will not listen because the only thing they hear is you're trying to justify murdering a baby. Yeah. And I know this because I grew up in this house. Mm. I grew up being beaten by my father if I ever spoke out against this. I grew up mm. being yelled at or grounded or punished for even having the thought that maybe abortion should be legal. I My entire family was throwing parties over the weekend to celebrate this, this overturning oh of Roe v. Wade. God. Like, I... I, w- I spent the weekend just paralyzed, just absolutely distraught and paralyzed, partly because I was also like just thinking of the women that I know who live in those states, because the states where it became instantly illegal yeah. is every state I've ever lived in before this. Yeah. I mean, and like, you know, I constantly remind myself I have to decenter myself from some of the, th- you know, my discussion about it, because I live in California and California's already moved to protect abortion rights and to protect the pe- people who travel here to receive that treatment. And it's not about me currently. I live it. I live in California. It's about it's about everybody else and all of these all of these women. But like I spoke to one of my friends today, and he called me to say his wife is now expecting. And for them, it's it's good news. They've been trying to conceive. But they also are terrified because they're like, what if it's an ectopic pregnancy? Yeah. Or now, any number of potential things that can happen in the course of a pregnancy, which is right. which is normal, which happens to everyone. But but now like women die are going to die from it. He's like, I could literally lose my wife because we wanted to have a child. I can't even imagine the people who didn't want to have a child. Is your friend, is this to- particular friend like... Are they pro-choice already, or is this like a new? They were they were already pro-choice. They're one of the maybe most liberal people I know in the whole state. So, you know. Yeah. Listen, not a, we can say this. This is not all, this view is not representative of all the people that live in all these states. No, absolutely not. I know great people and that I live think, in Wisconsin. You know, I have family in Wisconsin. Yeah. It's no, I think that it's something like sixty percent of the country thinks that choice should be the correct like thinks that 70 it's like 70 percent it's like yeah, a crazy it's, it's high a crazy number. majority and like <sighs> my, my friend was also saying like i i work with a lot of 
you know, staunch Republicans who I just assumed would be pro or uh, pro birth, pro life, pro, pro yeah, we could pro say pro, birth. we could say pro birth, <laughs> pro forced birth. Yes, he said I just assumed they would be, but they were also upset that this was overturned, and that kind of shocked me. But I finally started to engage with some of these people who I just assumed were on a different side than me, who it turns out are fully on my side, and it completely was a surprise to me. And and the the little glimmer of hope that I have is that there are so many people who voted Republican, who just didn't think that this could happen, who may now see <laughs> that, you know, maybe these votes matter. Maybe the, the, the party I've been supporting is actually as adamant about some of these things as they say they are. And it's not just to win over certain voters in certain states. Like, I think some people had convinced themselves of that. Like, they're not actually going to do it. Well, but now, we now there, they, there they have it. And the justice get, passing down the decision literally said, I hope we can overturn gay marriage next. And if, yep. if bodily autonomy is already now threatened at risk, gone for a lot of people, like, I, I just wonder, like... How far into the future is it before it's not legal for me to take my hormones anymore? How far into the future is it before, like, it's already illegal in Florida to give hormones to children, even if they want them, even if they know they're trans. It's literally a crime. Yeah. How long until it's literally a crime for anyone to take hormones? How long until they have legislated our identities away? Yeah. And I, I'm... I'm terrified. Like I'm I'm already heartbroken for everyone who's already suffering. Yes. And this is the beginning. This is just step 1 of a I don't even know how long of a process to try to get us back to the 19 fucking 50s. Well, you know, I have the I share all of these same fears as you. I share I share every one of them about all of this progress we've made and the protections for people. The things that I love the most about this country you know, those freedoms, that is what is at stake. And and furthermore, we haven't said this yet, but this law and enforcing birth, it, it, it's a form of religious jihadism because there are plenty of religions, including Judaism and, and other religions that do not say that abortion is a sin. And they do say that it, for the sake of the protection of the woman and et cetera, et cetera, you know, so it's, it is not, just religious it's like the specific christian jihadism and it's very deeply disturbing to me because you know this country is filled with not christians too and the way that things have been stacked now there is not equal representation for people of all of all religions and of all races and of all socioeconomic classes. That is very clear in all these decision makings is that these very few that have managed to wield their power and wiggle themselves into power and hold on to it are not representing the people. They're not. Mm. Can I, can I ask for clarification on, on what you mean by, by jihad? Uh, they're making religion law. Is what I mean. And that, you know what, that might be not a very appropriate word to use in this situation. And I should have looked that up before we, before I said it. Yeah, I just remember reading something that said, uh, that was like a scare tactic thing that they put out that was like, 90% of Muslims believe in jihad. And then if you actually like look into what the word jihad means, it's like freedom of religion or something. The definition is militant Islamic movements. 
So it's not that's not correct. Obviously, we're not talking about Islam, but it's certainly I mean, at minimum, it's religious extremism. Yes. And it's and it's and it's dangerous, life threatening, respecting. It's not respecting freedom of religion or freedom of choice in any regard. Uh, You know, freedom of religious choice, freedom to, you know, live your life as you want. Yeah. Yeah. And it's disturbing because this is a country that's, that's based on freedom of religion. Like we are all supposed to be allowed to believe whatever we want to believe or believe nothing mm-hmm. at all. That, you know. A lot of people don't think that, though. Well. <laughs> a lot of people who live here do not believe. But like not as many people as as it seems like based on these votes is what I'm saying, you know. Right. Yes, that's definitely true. But it's it's a large enough percentage of people that it's able to get to this point. It is. But anyway, lest, lest we spend too much time just repeating the same messaging we've already been <laughs> circulating, I think, you know, one right. of the reasons I wanted to talk with you about it isn't just so that we can express our feelings and, you know, talk about what it means for people. I also think there's some important messages we need to remember, all of us and probably our listeners too. At minimum... I try to be a person of action. And when when I feel disturbed by something, the first thing I think of is, yeah, but what am I going to do about it? And I think a lot of people think that way. People want to help. Like you see a lot of posting right now on social. I know you're not on social right now, Chloe, but there's a lot of posting. You know, a lot of people, men as well, are posting, which is always really encouraging. But I also feel like I've seen some posting that like, irritates the fuck out of me and I want to check in with everybody and our listeners about it and I want to make sure that we are thinking about this in the best most productive way and not just posting and reposting like offensive things to or not helpful things because I think that some of the things that circulate around are really not as helpful as we think they are I think there's like a there's a particular reference I see a lot of people posting about, and this happened before, this happened during Trump's presidency, and it happened last month too, but a lot of people are like, oh, this is the Handmaid's Tale now. We're inside the Handmaid's Tale. Um, and I... Not yet. We're, we're not, but I also... It's a very problematic reference uh, in general when it comes to all of these discussions. Um, and I think, like, I'll remind the audience if they've never looked at our about page on the website, both Chloe and I are white. We are white women. And so I think I always feel responsible uh, as a white woman to talk to other white women about ways we can be better allies and pointing out when we're not being helpful allies. And this Handmaid's Tale reference is actually like a super white skewed story, especially the TV show specifically. Um, it really centers the white woman victimhood and it doesn't really talk about black and brown women at all. Or there's like one character, Mora, I guess, who is, who is black, but it's a very white centric story. And I think like, I think maybe as white women, we relate to that because we see the white women suffer in that, but really the people that are going to be suffering the most at the hand of these new laws are going to be. Um, the the poor women and women of color. And it's like just really important to hold that close to our knowledge base and not, you know, freak out thinking it's going to be us because it's the people that suffer the most are the people that are of the poorest classes who can't afford to take off work, who can't afford to fly or drive however long it's going to take them now to get to the clinics, right? 
So so yeah. just be really careful when you're posting about Handmaid's Tale and like maybe don't do it because <laughs> it it really and that's might be something you never thought of and I'm not trying to shame anybody. I'm never trying to shame anybody. I don't think that shame is a helpful feeling. I think it sh- shuts us all down and closes down our centers of learning. So Definitely. N- and nothing I say on this podcast ever is meant to shame. Well, except for maybe some patriarchy, maybe some <laughs> yes, for you know. sure. No, I just listened to a, a black comedian who was talking about The Handmaid's Tale, and he was like, it's interesting how it's about a white lady who breaks free from slavery and then goes back and frees a bunch of people and then goes back again and frees a bunch more people <laughs> and then goes back. And it turns out it's just the story of Harriet Tubman. <laughs> it's just the story of Harriet Tubman. Yes. And, but but white people wrote the story, so they had to set it in the future so that they could be the hero yeah. instead. Although I do feel like there's a point of clarification here that we are talking about specifically the TV show. Margaret Atwood's right. book ends like basically at the end of season one. So none of that going back and rescuing stuff is Margaret Atwood's version, her right. novel. So I don't want to I want to shit on Margaret Atwood. I, I do love her, yeah. you know. But I mean, Margaret Atwood is also, I think easily critiquable for centering whiteness yeah. in her stories. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's she's a feminist from the 20th century who was writing to what she knew and it is what it is. Yeah. Um uh one of the other things I want to talk about too is all of these like camping trip posts. Have you seen this? Are you on TikTok? No, you're not. I'm not on TikTok no, either, but anywhere. I've been seeing it like posted and reposted on the, the Instagram and all these other places where all these women are like, you know, if you need to go, quote, camping in my state, you know, I have an extra bedroom and we can go camping together. And there's all these posts. And I, I think they're very well-meaning. I think that everybody wants to help someone who needs to get an abortion. So I, I'm not sure, like, the origin of the trend exactly, and I'm, and I'm guessing it has something to do with, like, wanting to help and not wanting to be able to be prosecuted for assisting somebody who gets an abortion, et cetera, et cetera. I, it's just so much more complicated than needing a couch for someone to stay on. And I think that, you know, if you want people that you are connected to on social media to know that you're an ally and a supporter and that you live in a safe state, you can just post that. I'm an ally. I live in the state, but I think there's like something weird and performative about these camping trips. Like there's been like millions and millions of views on all these TikToks. And I I don't think that, I I don't know. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I was trying to explain to my mom, because I knew I texted her the day the ruling came down and I was like, look, I know you're probably really happy right now, but I am really sad and heartbroken. And I hope that you're able to, at least acknowledge and accept that even if you don't agree with me and she thankfully engaged with me and was like well can you explain you know she explained her side of things and she you know repeated a lot of those talking points about like you know if you really need one you can always just go to another state and I was like well a lot of people literally can't like some people first of all can't get time off work yeah Second of all, if they can get time off work, might not be able to afford the gas prices right now to drive to another state, might not be able to afford the procedure in the first place once they get there. And a lot of states are now passing down laws that if you leave a state and get an abortion, they can charge you with murder the moment you get back in the state. Yeah. So there's a there's a number of reasons that that 
doesn't yeah. work. And there was a study, so I found, I was, you know, look, trying to look up facts to have an informed um, podcast episode. And there was a study done by the University of Utah that found that the average travel distance to an abortion clinic will increase from 40 miles to more than 113 miles. Oof. And that's average. So that's, it, it will often be more than that. Like Texas, mm-hmm. it's going to be more than that. Texas is ginormous. Yeah. Any of the less populous states, it's going to be a yeah. huge distance. And there was another study done uh, by the JAMA Network Journal that found that women who need an abortion are more than twice as likely to delay the procedure or decide against them entirely if they live more than 50 miles from a clinic. For all the reasons you said, they can't get off work, it's expensive. Even this, And this is even before Roe had passed, right? These are studies that were done before, or before Roe was overturned, rather. Right, right. And prior to the Supreme Court ruling, there was at least one abortion clinic in every state. And on average... Most women of childbearing age lived within an hour's drive of one. And now, all of a sudden, that's not going to be true. People, these clinics are not going to be performing abortions anymore. Yeah, and a lot of them had to immediately shut down. Like, people are out of work because of this. Yeah, I mean, I listened to a great episode of the... I don't know if you listen to The Daily, but I really enjoy that podcast. And they were interviewing clinic workers in those states the day the ruling came down and like what their day was like (sighs) basically you know they had procedures scheduled for that day that they could not complete they couldn't do and they became like some of them explained it as like becoming a travel agent so 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 now they're basically just trying to help these women who they were supposed to be helping figure out like okay what is the best way and you know one of the women that was interviewed, one of the workers that was interviewed was describing one of the women that she had been in contact with who basically was having like very serious, like emotional breakdowns, her whole appointment in the first place, knowing that these things, you know, these laws were, were in the works and it's being looked at by the Supreme court. And now she's just like calling her every day to check in on her well being and make sure that she's mm-hmm. okay. And like that's not this nurse, that's this nurse, this doctor, that's not her job to do that. And she right. is because she's so worried about this woman. She's a good person. Yeah, right. There are good people. <sighs> There's always good people. So you know, in in tandem with the camping trip thing being kind of like not like don't don't do that. We also have to stop talking about inventing an underground railroad for abortions. Oh, yeah. No, that doesn't sound It good. is. I have to tell this to, to everyone who's listening who may think, but what do you mean? Like, we want to be helpful. First of all, it's super offensive for mm-hmm. white people to talk about creating an underground railroad. That's super offensive. We just talked about, you know, you just used the Harriet Tubman example. And it's appropriation at best. And at worst, it's... We cannot refer for so first of all, we just cannot even refer to starting something like the Underground Railroad because we're white people, and whether or not we know that our relatives actually enslaved people in our history, that is part of our culture here in America, and we have to remember that always when we are making any reference to something like that. Yeah, there there are vast differences between what it was to escape slavery and yes, even like the. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I just can't even start. Yeah, it's yes. But but there's a second part to this caveat is that the thing is about when like what you're trying to say when you when you say that that we need some sort of network to help women get abortions, right? The thing is is that already exists. 
You just haven't heard about it. Since before Roe was even in place, there was a network of abortion funds that has been established across this country now for for decades because surprise no not surprising it's been really difficult for women of color and poor women to get abortions for a long time even before the ruling that happened and so there is a huge amount of organizations that are very underfunded by the way but that Mm -hmm. actually have experience and i want to just kind of read a little bit There is, uh, I found this great article, and maybe I should post this on the website. I'll post this on the website. But the woman who wrote the article, she is the executive director of Access Reproductive Justice, which is one of these organizations. Rather than try to reword what she says really eloquently, I just kind of want to read from the article for a second. So she says, uh, quote, as the black leader of Access Reproductive Justice a statewide abortion fund that has been serving Californians for almost 30 years, the majority of women whom also identify as black, indigenous, or people of color, I'm troubled when I hear folks, in particular privileged white women, try to reinvent the wheel and solve the problem of abortion access. This instinct demonstrates a pervasive unawareness and disinterest in learning about and working with the nation's foremost experts on abortion access. The abortion funds that day in and day out help our communities navigate the hostile restrictions and harsh barriers designed to prevent people from getting abortions. What's more, abortion funds are largely led by BIPOC and LGBTQ plus people, and the notion that our country needs a, quote, new underground railroad of sorts is a blatant erasure of our work and leadership. The National Network of Abortion Funds, the the NAAF, of which Access Reproductive Justice is a member, is a powerful 30-year-old nationwide network of more than 80 community-based organizations that link people to abortion care. We respond when people need money to pay for their procedures, child care, money for travel and meals, and other forms of practical and logistical support around obtaining an abortion. Many funds are led by volunteers and black and brown folks, many of whom have had abortions and utilize their funds services. But despite our long history and extensive experience in providing for the needs of those seeking abortions, these funds are continually undermined and underfunded because people refuse to see the work we've been doing for decades. Well, that is very difficult to argue with. (laughs) It is. I'm going to keep reading from it because I think this is like really important for white people to hear. And I know a lot of our listeners, not all of our listeners, but a lot of our listeners are white. Quote, no matter how well-intentioned, these efforts are fraught with potential danger. These efforts, uh, referring to things like the camping trip and forming our own underground railroad, right? Quote, these efforts are fraught with potential danger and directly undermine the work abortion funds have been doing and will continue to do. Newer groups of inexperienced, albeit perhaps well-meaning activists, are not vetted by a nationwide framework, may not embrace shared values, nor are they experts in the range of communities we serve. They are not centering the needs of those seeking abortion care in how they provide support, and they are not centering those who have historically been most marginalized. They are centering themselves. And I think I'll just end with this other quote from her. Abortion funds are here, and we're already working with decades of wisdom and power and are deeply rooted in our communities. We need additional funding and active participation in this work from people who believe in it. We need people to join this movement, not reinvent it. So that is the end of quoting that article. 
I, I don't think I could have said it any better than she did. Uh, and so nope. I just want to give her... Not if I wrote for a week and a half could I have even approached that. No. And that, again, is uh, Jessica Pinkney. Pink, Pinkney. Sounds like a future broad there. I think she probably is. I'm also going to post a link to this article and to those organizations. And I think everyone should look into them. And the more productive thing to do than posting a camping post is to look up those organizations and to see what you can do to help them. Um, Because they know what needs to happen and they know how to make it happen. But what they need is more support, right? Yeah. Um, and obviously nobody's telling you not to help out your friend. No, I, but, I'm not saying that at know. all. Like I said, post right. so that your friends know. Probably your friends already know where you live. And probably <laughs> if you're close friends, they already know that you'll support them. But it doesn't hurt to, yeah. you know, for someone who may be more tentative to ask for help. But yeah, helping people who can use these organizations or may not have a friend in another state is I think probably a more beneficial use of your energy. I mean, for lack of a better word, just kind of posting about it too, it it feels a little performative. Whereas actually supporting those organizations is an actual help that you will, you will give. And it doesn't matter how much or how little you can help them. Any help is better than no help. Right. And then I also want to get on my soapbox, Chloe, (laughs) (laughs) about the politics of it. One of my newer heroes AOC uh, has been calling for voting, not just voting, but for voting harder and not just voting for Democrats, but for actual progressive Democrats who pledge to move legislation forward, to codify Roe versus Wade, to actually pass the laws that are going to protect marginalized people. Because uh, a lot of our Democratic leaders, I'm a Democrat, I'll say it out loud, because we don't have another party that's like better right now. Um, yeah. But a lot of our Democrats are are super ineffective and they're not standing up for the rights of marginalized people. So don't just vote. Vote progressive. You know, if you have thoughts about why you shouldn't vote progressive, feel free to write in. Bras you should know at <laughs> gmail.com. Because I'm, I have a funny feeling those people aren't listening to this show. I, you know, I think that more people than we think are are tentative about what the word progressive means. And I and I think the truth, you know, of the matter is that in this country, the spectrum now is very different from what it was for our parents and grandparents. Oh yeah. And so, what is progressive is universal health care, student loan forgiveness. Yeah. Is universal child care like things that help people? Is now like that's the progressive messaging. Which, to be fair, was was fairly progressive, you know, back in the 50s and 60s, but it was largely only black activists who were arguing for those things yeah. back then. And now it's just, you know, thankfully bled into more people's consciousness. Well, I think once upon a time, progressive meant things like trying to bring communism into our communities and, like, get rid of democracy. And that is not what progre- right. what what modern progressives today in this country are standing for. They're trying to stand for and protect the rights of marginalized people and make life better for everybody. So I just, you know, 
I think it's important to remember that and to remember that progressive is not a dirty word, even though that's what the GOP's message is, that progressives are trying to take away everything you own and they're trying to take away your rights. And like, it's like the opposite. They're trying to like (laughs) establish rights, but it's important to repeat because I think the messaging of progressive is bad has been a little pervasive and more people hear that and and cringe. And that's why Biden got elected. It's because people are scared of progressiveness. It's also like sort of why Hillary didn't get elected, even though she even wasn't very progressive. <laughs> but it's like the the idea of a woman in leadership felt progressive to so many people that they were scared of it. If you didn't vote for Hillary too, I just invite you to take this moment to reflect on on how things could be so different right now if people could have trusted Hillary and, and ignored the messaging of the GOP and, and about how, quote, dirty she was. And it's just... It was all lies. It was all part of this this agenda, right? Yeah, I feel like we'd I feel like we'd still be here even if Hillary had won. But that's a that's a much longer conversation. Well, certainly things would be different. Certainly, I wouldn't be hooked day in and day out watching all of these hearings uh, with the insurrection. Actually, it might not be because she would have appointed very different Supreme Court justices than Trump did, yeah. and uh, then they might not have even called the vote. So exactly. But aside from, and this is also like also why I wanted you to be part of this conversation, Chloe, besides just voting and voting harder for progressives, I also just want to, I said this in my, broadly speaking, I did solo a few weeks ago, but I just want to encourage everyone to get active in their local politics. You and I, Chloe, both volunteered for the Warren campaign back in the Democratic primary. We did. And like, okay, was your experience volunteering, was it very painful? No. Was it difficult? No. No. You like no, showed pretty, up. It was pretty easy. Like I showed up. I had very, very clear instructions on what to do handed to me. And then I did it. And then I was done. I mean, I was, was full disclosure. I was the one that like invited you to come and handed you the instructions. But it's true. But but we have it all. People who are running grassroots campaigns have it all worked out for you. And they want volunteers and they're hungry for volunteers. Chloe, you happened to go door to door and talk to mm-hmm. people and nobody tried to murder you or came out with a weapon or anything, right? Like no, people they, I mean, they came out with verbal weapons, uh, speaking out against me for progressing or uh, advocating for, for Warren, but <laughs> people don't like that progressiveness, you know. No, they weren't a fan, but no. but we did we managed to convince a couple of people. There were a couple of people who were like, I you know, I really don't know who I want to vote for here and I think you've convinced me, so and there were other people who were like, if you're wasting your time, don't even bother doing this. It's never going to happen. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, I'll just go to the next house then. <laughs> so so you convinced. did like the in-person door-to-door, and this was specifically for Get Out the Vote, and uh, which always happens right before. And we're about to, by the way, everyone, if you don't know now, now you know, we've got midterms coming up again. And the trend in politics is that the party that is in the office of president typically does poorly at the midterms. So that would mean that Republicans could gain back the Senate and and some House seats. I'm really hoping that this decision pushes that the other direction. So volunteering, it could be door-to-door. If you don't like going door-to-door, you can, like, text people. Or you can, like, even do less interactive volunteering and, like, write letters to people. Because nobody writes letters back, right? You can, like, send postcards. You can write letters. You can leave voicemails on your representative's 
answering machines because they don't usually answer in person. So you just leave a message and you say, I really encourage you to take a stand against this and do that. You know, there's scripts too. You can look it up if you don't know what to say. But also if you volunteer locally, they'll just kind of give you the message that is best, like the most helpful message to convey and like to tell you like, okay, here's what would be helpful. We really need to see this person, you know, in, in office, this person has promised this is and this, this is the messaging we support. And you, as a volunteer, you decide who you support, you know, no one's making you support one candidate or the other. But I will say, like, part of the reason I want to harp on this is that Chloe, you and I were volunteering and I, I helped to run the Get Out the Vote Center in this little sliver of Burbank, California, which is just north of central LA. But the volunteers that we had on the ground in our district managed to make Warren viable in our district. So Warren would have progressed to, you know, had she become viable, the way, if you don't know how it works, a candidate can't go on to the, can't pass the primary without, you know, a certain amount of the votes. And that means being viable in a certain number of the districts, getting a certain percentage of votes in a certain number of the districts. And we made her viable in our district. And and the volunteers of, of Warren for LA made her viable all over LA. And that was the work that we did on the ground. We didn't have Bloomberg's money. We didn't have all these commercials and all that shit, right? Because Bloomberg just like radiated the airwaves, which is what Caruso is going to do for mayor in, in just a few months. Um, but the grassroots ground up work, the stuff that Chloe and I did over a weekend or two or three or however much or little you can give is all so, 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 so helpful. And I don't want anyone to think, you know, whatever level you're at, if you're nervous to volunteer, if you're nervous to talk to somebody, there are ways you can help without having to do that. And if you don't have any money to give, that's okay. Because volunteering your time, getting your boots on the ground and helping the candidates to, to get elected in their districts, the candidates that are going to make the biggest difference, uh, both locally and federally, because local elections, as we all know, are actually sometimes more important. I, uh, I hate to even say they're more important, but they really are in terms of your day-to-day life. Uh, yeah. it, it's important. It's important to volunteer. So I just, you know, I wanted, part of me just wanted Chloe to witness to you that it's not just me preaching, that like Chloe did it too. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that hard. Yeah. And it made it's, a no. difference. And if everybody everywhere put a little bit in, it makes a huge difference. I, I volunteered one one day, and I think it only took like two or three hours yeah. of one day. That's all I, that literally, that was all I did. And yeah. I know that it helped. And, you know, if I could have given more, I would have given more. But, you know, just give what you can. Exactly. Um, so, so look up your local reps. Look up who you can support or if you live nearby places, like if you live nearby a district where a candidate, you know, needs needs the volunteers and needs the support. You can also volunteer for candidates that aren't close to you. You know, you can write letters and postcards from outside of their district to potential voters in their district and stuff like that. So please look it up and please, please, instead of just tearing our hair out, which is okay to do, I'm not invalidating being upset about the overturning of Roe versus Wade, but please, as much as possible, turn your upset into action because that is all we have at this point. They haven't yet overturned other laws. They haven't overturned gay marriage. They haven't done that yet. And they can't fucking do that if we get people in office who refuse to do that and who will protect the rights of marginalized people. And the way that we do that is 
is through these actions and also su- through supporting these abortion networks, helping, helping to women get the care they need. So those are my soapboxes, Chloe. Thank you for <laughs> letting me rant. Oh, no, I love it. Ugh, do you have any soapboxes you want to get off your chest too? No, no, I think, uh, I think I'm good. <laughs> That's enough. Thank you everyone for listening to this broad, this very serious, broadly speaking. It is tough times to be an American. It's tough to be proud to be American. It's going to be hard to celebrate the 4th of July, to be honest with you. Yeah. But I still believe that hope's not lost. And I still believe that we all have the power to make a difference. And so let's just hold on to that and remember that. And support our, our each other, our friends, ourselves. Take care of yourselves, too. And give all each other big hugs and lots of love right now. Because uh, the fight's not over. We're all exhausted, but you know what? We're going we're gonna to push through... And we're going to fight. Yes. Yes, we are. To learn more about Access Reproductive Justice, visit accessrj.org. To learn more about the National Network of Abortion Funds, visit abortionfunds.org. That's abortionfunds.org. I'm going to have both those links also posted on broadsyoushouldknow.com and in the show notes here on your podcasting platform. If you want to read the article by Jessica Pinkney in full that I quoted here in the episode, we'll also have that link on broadsyoushouldknow.com. While you're at Broads You Should Know, click on over to the About page to read more about me and Chloe. Our bio, photos, info, links to our cool stuff is there. If this episode really spoke to you, or if you feel like you know someone else that needs to hear it then I suggest you share this episode with them. It's hard to see things ourselves sometimes, but you can offload some of that burden by giving it to me and Chloe. So share this episode with your friends, family, anyone you know who might benefit from it. If you aren't following us on social media yet, you should. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Broads You Should Know and Twitter at BYSK Podcast. To suggest a broad, fill out the form on our website or email us at broadsyoushouldknow at gmail.com. Broads You Should Know is produced by me, Sarah Gorski, and edited by Chloe Skye with original music by Darren Callahan. Finally, if this episode really has you interested to learn more about both the things I've talked about previously about abortion as well as about Roe versus Wade, we do have a Broadly Speaking episode that aired a couple of weeks ago, so check that out. We also have an episode about Norma McCorvey, who was the Jane Roe in Roe versus Wade. Her story is very interesting and not how you think it will be. See you next week for another Broad You Should Know. <laughs>